Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, November the 6th. This week, gene therapy for inherited blindness. We'll be discussing the interesting results of a phase one study with one of the authors of that paper. Just before that, a few other highlights from the issue of The Lancet dated November the 7th to the 13th. In research, we publish in print the article discussed in a podcast a couple of weeks ago concerning the drug loragutide for the treatment of severe obesity. Also look out for research concerning irritable bowel disorder. The lead editorial this week is about breast cancer, but this time in developing countries. And the seminar this week is about autism. Also this week, we publish online only the winners of the 2009 Global Forum Essay Competition, details of which can be found in the last comment this week, written by my colleague Yudani Samrasekara. Also in the comment section, two items about the healthcare system in Cuba. Topical as next Global Forum International Health Meeting will be taking place shortly in Havana, capital of Cuba, from November the 16th to the 20th. And we'll have more about the Global Health Forum in a couple of weeks' time. But let's now hear from Professor Jean Bennett, who is one of the authors of, unusually for us, a phase one study we're publishing this week in the research section of the journal. And this concerns the potential of gene therapy as a treatment for inherited blindness. This study was published online two weeks ago. Jean Bennett, and I'm a professor of ophthalmology at the FM Kirby Center for Molecular Ophthalmology at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm the scientific director of the LCA clinical trial study, which has been carried out at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Professor Bennett, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're one of the authors of a phase one study in this week's issue, and this concerns the quite exciting potential of gene therapy as a treatment for certain forms of uh, inherited blindness. Just before we go into some of the details of the study, can you just explain the relevance or the context of gene therapy, particularly with, within the context of, of blindness or visual loss? The form of Leber's congenital amaurosis that we're working with is due to lack of a particular protein, which is important in providing a vitamin A derivative necessary for vision. There is a protein missing, which is an enzyme, and it cannot provide that derivative, and the concept is really quite simple we deliver the normal copy of the DNA which encodes this enzyme. We deliver that to the cells which normally make this enzyme so that they can then set up a permanent production of this protein. The production of this protein then completes the biochemical circuit and allows the vitamin A derivative to be formed and vision to occur. And just go on and tell us, as I said in the introduction, this is a phase one study, so the numbers of individuals involved here are quite small, but perhaps you could just go on and explain the methodology and also particularly how this actual gene therapy, the mechanism is done via the use of the virus, etc. Each one of these subjects was born with severely impaired vision. They were all legally blind and at different levels of blindness because they differ in age. This is a slowly progressive disease. There were 12 individuals who were enrolled in the study, ages 8 through 44. And in each one of these individuals, their worst seeing eye was selected for study. And uh, that's the worst of the worst because both eyes in each of these individuals is severely impaired. We selected the worst eye for study based on risk-benefit issues, i.e. if there was a problem with the gene transfer, uh, we didn't want to remove whatever light perception or visual input that the other eye had. So the worst seeing eye was injected, received a single subretinal injection, 
with a recombinant virus carrying the normal copy of the gene which is defective in their disease. This was delivered by subretinal injection specifically to the area of their retina which was thought would be the most responsive to the therapy. In most of these individuals, the delivery was to the macula, which is the region of fine visual discrimination. And there were two subjects for whom the treatment was delivered more peripherally because their macula had already degenerated. So these subjects received one single injection, and then they were followed over time for the effects of the gene transfer. What we found and what they reported was that their vision started to improve as soon as one week after injection. What the subjects reported was that things became brighter, that they could resolve finer detail, that they could see numbers on their cell phones and see scenery and navigate easily through their streets or uh, to restaurants and to the classroom, etc. And what we found by doing a battery of subjective and objective tests was that, yes, indeed, their vision had improved. We showed that in the majority of the individuals, their visual acuity, i.e. their ability to read letters on an eye chart, improved significantly. In all subjects, their uh, visual fields, i.e. the amount of peripheral vision that they had, improved. We found that their treated eye became much more sensitive to light, and that was documented through measurements of changes in the pupillary light reflex, i.e. the rate of constriction and the amplitude of constriction of the pupil after it was exposed to light. We also documented that three of the subjects had improved electrophysiology in their retinas. That was tested through multifocal electroretinograms. And finally, and what has attracted the media most is that the ability to navigate was restored in all of the children who were enrolled in the study. There were four children ages 8 through 11 years old who prior to the study relied on canes, on blind canes to navigate or on uh, holding their parents' hands. Those children now navigate independently. They play soccer, they play baseball, and what we showed in our studies was that they could navigate a very complicated maze which carried a series of arrows directing them to go in various directions, to take turns, to step over objects, to step under objects, and to find a door at the end. And each one of these individuals could navigate this maze perfectly using their injected eye, but not their previously best-seeing uninjected eye. That's very interesting. And just to mention to listeners and people who haven't found it already, because this study was published online two weeks ago, we do have some accompanying web videos that illustrate some of the ambulatory skills that some of the subjects now have, which is terrific. A couple of questions on that, Professor Bennett. Is this one injection now sufficient for these subjects, or are they going to require top-up injections to keep that gene flow kind of up to level? That's an excellent question, because each one of the 12 individuals enrolled in the trial has asked us, when can I have my other eye injected? <laughs> because now they realize that their injected eye is their best seeing eye and they would like their uninjected eye to become um, as good in terms of visual discrimination. 
We do not know how long the effects will last in the eye that has been injected. However, the first patient that was injected in this series was injected more than two years ago, and her vision has remained improved as we found it several months after injection, and in fact, it has improved even more since that time. A best data in terms of stability of expression comes from dogs that we injected many years ago, in fact, in July 2000. And the first dog that was injected in that series that has been studied long-term continues to see now as well as it did a couple months after injection. So we're certainly hoping that the effects will be long-lasting in these people and that they will not need another injection in their eye that has been injected. We are doing experiments now to determine whether it is safe to go ahead and inject the contralateral eye so that that can experience the same benefits as the initially injected eye. In addition, we're doing studies to determine whether it may be safe in the future to treat additional portions of the eye that has already been injected because that could potentially expand the visual fields even more. And I think it's important to say, isn't it, that this gene therapy is of potential use for people who have existing functional vision. This isn't about reversing any kind of blindness. This is actually about intervening, particularly, and presumably this is why you got a good result in the younger individuals in your study, because the deterioration associated with that disease hadn't had time to progress so much. That's exactly right, and it's a very important point. We've demonstrated that we can resuscitate the cells that are sick but present in the eyes of these individuals. This is a slowly progressive disease so that the cells, the photoreceptors, the neurons in the retina, which mediate the beginning of vision, those are, even though they're sickly, they are there. And it would not be possible to resuscitate vision if those cells were absent. When the cells die off, it, it's a different strategy that will have to be used. And finally, I think it's interesting to consider what the potential implications are for clinical practice from here. Does that mean that clinical practice, assuming there are enough centers around to perform this type of intervention, could carry on and do this from now, or do we need more research to back this up? What we are planning is to carry out a, an additional clinical trial, a phase three trial, which will hopefully allow this drug to be approved by the, the FDA, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, so that it could be administered to anybody who needs it. Importantly, we think one of the caveats of all of this work is that while this particular drug would only be applicable to this one form of retinal degeneration, this form of Labor's congenital amaurosis, we think the strategy could be generally applicable to all sorts of more common retinal degenerative diseases, including the very common disease, age-related macular degeneration. However, this will require further work. Well, it's a fascinating study with hopefully lots of promise. So, Professor Jean Bennett, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. And many thanks indeed to you for your interest in the story. I'm very pleased and honored to participate. Many thanks to Professor Jean Bennett for joining us on the line from Philadelphia in the United States. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week.